Hello and welcome to Force Spikes. As always, I am your host, Jonathan, along with my co-host, Greg. Say hi, Greg. Hey, everybody. And today we are joined by a special co-host. You guys probably know him as the Road Warrior, the famous and also infamous Christopher Otwell. Hello, Chris. Greetings and other miscellaneous salutations. <laughs> all right. First of all, we're just really honored to have you here with us today because I'm not sure if everyone out there listening knows, but you're probably one of the two people most responsible for any of these podcasts getting up there, if not the most responsible person, you and Tom, right? I do 90% of the work. Okay. <laughs> so if it wasn't for me, the network at this point would not have existed any longer. Everyone uh, listening should be very aware of that because it is not easy. It's probably a lot of work to have to do all the uploading and editing and everything else. And we do appreciate your time. And you're not paid for this, right? This is all just volunteer. Oh yeah, this is this is strictly a labor of love. This yeah. is I get no money out of it. I don't put anything into into it financially. I don't take any money out of it financially. The advertising that the website gets pays for the bills itself. That's why we keep around three to four. Uh, online stores and or other websites uh, as advertisements mm-hmm. on there because it pays for the bills. But pretty much, you know, the thing that Tom does is he records and uploads the Monday Night Magic and takes care of the billing and the advertising and pretty much everything else I do. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I think I, I've always believed that this is something that Magic has needed, has always needed, and we provide such an amazing service for for the mass quantity of people out there. We it, it's hard to describe the pride I take in what we do with this. Yeah, at absolutely. Time, you know, at the you know, same time, you know, it, yeah, it costs me a couple hours a week of my time, but you know, so be it. It's a hobby. It's something I want to see grow. It's just amazing to me to see how many new shows, including ours, Four Spikes, has grown from when I started listening to it. I don't think there were as many, but. It's kind of incredible how much you've inspired people to do on here, and all these other people who are also just out of the labor of love, given their time, really just getting out there and and uh, and sharing their thoughts and, and wisdom on Magic, this awesome game that we all love. So that's pretty incredible. Did you ever think it would get this big with all the with all these different podcasts on here? That was always a hope, and I think there's still massive room for growth. And there was times where I or we were bigger than than we are now. Um, Number of number of actual shows and podcasts put out every week. Wow! Right now, I think we're kind of in a lull again, actually, compared to what it was last summer. Wow, that's pretty incredible. But at the same time, we had shows back then where we had the professors on here. We oh, had yeah. Magic School Bus. We had a number of other shows. We actually started introducing articles being written on the site then, and some unnamed premium websites, I'll say, <laughs> came in and decided to. Um, take a couple of our talents and actually offer them money to come do this stuff. Oh, yeah. So we we can write for you. Uh, We had, let me go bring up the list, but we, for instance, Conley was one of our very first writers, and that's where he actually got his start. That's right, I remember that. I even remember Tom dedicating some time in his podcast to talking a little bit about that. Yeah. That was a long time ago, yeah. That's right. So so basically, you're just the incubator for talent. Yes. (laughs) The way me, the way I explained it to Tom, like I don't know, over a year ago, is that while he was, we, we had, you know, at the same time, we had our feelings, our own personal feelings about having lost talent last year. Mm-hmm. 
because of uh, other sides deciding to come up and, and start throwing money at some of the people we had doing this work. Yeah. The way I, I came to the conclusion is that I'm okay with it in the end because we're really a talent agency. We find <laughs> talent. I put it out there for people to make a name for themselves. And once they make a name for themselves, you know, if they want to go make money doing it, more power to them. But in the end, I'm the guy who's out there doing all the search for the talent. I'm the one who finds everybody. That's pretty you know incredible. But, and, um, yeah, some of the people we actually had write, name, uh, write articles for us for a while was uh, Daniel Palmer, Dylan Pratt, uh, Kenyon Kelleran, Mike Kohler. Uh, Jen actually wrote a couple articles. Noah Winston, hmm. Russell Tasker. There was a number of people who wrote articles for a while. And then, and then, of course, Connolly was writing articles. And a few of them went on to actually become known writers on other sites at this yep. point. And the, and the professors actually not only are writing, but they got their own, like, podcast for Blackboard now, right? Their own video podcast? Well, he was always, yeah, he was always doing a video podcast. And and at some point, he decided to come to us to see if we'd put it up there, and we did. And then eventually, he became well enough known from going strictly to YouTube to then becoming part of our network that Blackboard would offer him to become basically an exclusive pro- uh, producer for them. That's pretty incredible. So... You know, in order for Blackboarder to compete with places like Channel Firewall. Yeah, so that's that's pretty awesome. And uh, how was it that you first got keyed into the MTG Cast Network? You want the longer short story? <laughs> Whatever one you think is going to be interesting to our listeners. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, that's a long time ago. Um, I originally started podcasting initially... With the intent of taking over for the show called The Man of Vault, which was a PCG player only product at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were the only magic podcast on the internet. But they were they were doing it during the Mirrodin time frame, at the end of uh, at the very beginning of Mirrodin when they were like giving up on, on basically. So I was gonna originally do it to take over for them. And some differences of opinion between me and the uh, ownership of TCG player at the time kind of made us scratch that idea. A few things got published like my states, or my, my uh, national strip for, from uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. That did get published on the website. So at that point, I decided to get in touch with Brian David Marshall and Mike Flores, since I've known them and they've known me for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just back from the days of <laughs> trading cards dot miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. If anyone remembers that. Uh, and they had started up top8magic.com. So I put together some some podcasts for them of my initial ser- initial set of shows. And Matt Wang and me, we talked about it. we liked I liked what they did. They albeit it wasn't as published as quickly as I liked. So eventually I got in touch with, with Dom Hodgson, who was the originator of MTG Cast. And at that point, I became pretty much his second show on the site. And when when was that exactly? Uh, this would have been like very late 2006, maybe very early 2007 time frame. Wow. So like around right around Christmas time frame. That I effectively became the second show on the MTG Cast Network um, and started helping Dom uh, post some of the stuff, do my own posting, and he gave me permission to to the website and whatnot, the FTP site he was using. So I uploaded a bunch of stuff. I started posting things on there for him as of all my shows. And around the same time, and I mean, Tom was already a, a co-host at that point and Monday Night Magic. 
Gavin started being a co-host around that same time. And Derek eventually came along, at the, or like some, some several weeks later, several months later, he came along as a co-host for Monday Night Match. So I, I was I was effectively the second show on this on the website. And as time evolved, Dom decided he didn't want anything to do with MGG Cast anymore. So me and Tom came to a working agreement on taking it over and basically taking ownership of it at that point. And he made it well known that he was pretty much walking away from Magic a long time ago. Okay. So, I mean, that was that much was well known. So, now. See, but haven't, haven't we all made those statements and just come right back to it? I know I have. It's really hard to get completely away from Magic. Well, Dom went on and started pursuing a new career, basically. Instead oh. of Magic, he started putting out podcasts for, um, I think it was something called Ruby, which is a programming language, computer yeah. programming language. Sure. And then um, other C++ and C Sharp type uh, stuff, and then like um, some kind of computer marketing, computer technology stuff. So sure. he, he went on, instead of instead of worrying about Magic, he was doing his podcast in a completely different avenue and turned it into like a paid profession for him. Let's put it that way. But he still he still lives in uh, Leeds, New, uh, Leeds, England, and still does you know still involved in lots of, of computer technology related stuff. But he he doesn't touch magic whatsoever, and he hasn't in years. And I suspect he probably won't ever come back. He's one of the few people who didn't have. See, the thing is, people who come back to the game are spikes. Those people who say they can quit and then walk away and then come back later on. Totally. Those are the power gamers. Those are the spikes. Those totally. are the guys who can't get it out of their blood, but they have to compete and win. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's it's, yeah. it's it's in their blood. Those kind of people can't walk away from the game forever. People who are just like kitchen table players and Timmy players, they can come and go and sometimes walk away from the game for good. It's, it's just it's a, it's a basically a personality kind of split of who can or can't walk away from the game. In the end, Magic is still the greatest game ever designed. It always will be the greatest game ever designed, and there's really no point in denying that fact. Amen. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think you hit it on, the, on, on that nail on that head very strongly. Yeah, no, yeah, nobody, nobody really... Everyone thinks that they can quit, but if you're a power gamer, if you're if you're a real spike or a power gamer, you can't. Yeah. You just can't. I've seen incapable hundreds of times over my, over my career in playing Magic. I've seen it by hundreds of different people, and I knew by who they were and how they acted and how they played whether or not I would expect to see them again. I think there's one exception to that rule. I, 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 was, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, that's so correct. I think the, the only exception to the rule isn't even isn't even an exception. It's like a caveat. It's just it's like a well, you kind of can leave, and that's if you like play poker or something that is, is insanely um, fruitful, lucrative from from money standpoint. No, that doesn't. That's, it, that's an exception to the to the rule because honestly, that that still follows the rule. The, the spikes will still play. Like they'll still draft. They'll still you know they'll still be our, their their hobby. I mean, look at all of the the primary examples of people that have gone over into poker. All of those people still play Magic. They all play Magic because yeah, they all po- still play Magic. They, they all play Magic because poker is not as depth in strategy as Magic. Yeah, and, and I, it's not, it's, nor, it's, nor as dynamic of a game. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I I was uh, actually at the at Grand Prix Minneapolis where I first met Tom in person about a year ago now. There was a guy who I was playing against in the last round of the first day uh, that I had to beat to get in, but he ended up getting in too. And we were just talking afterwards, and he and I was like, "So what do you do outside of this?" Well, I'm a professional poker player, and he went on to explain that he's actually losing out on, you know, he explained it as thousands of dollars by not competing this weekend and instead going to the Grand Prix. And even if he wins out and does phenomenal, he'll still lose a bunch of money. And he was like, yeah, but this is way better and totally worth it. And so, Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, David Williams missed part of uh, the World Series of Poker to go to uh, PT San Juan. Yep. And, like, nobody understood. But, like, afterwards, he's like, yeah, I had a great time. <laughs> I definitely like that was like the perfect thing to put me in the mindset to to go back to the World Series and and do well. Yeah, that that's, that happens with lots of players. I mean, you you could find Noah um, Noah Boken doing that. You'll find Gabriel Nassif will leave the World Series poker to go to the Pro Tour, then go back to the World Series. Uh, David Williams is a perfect example of somebody who just loves the game, you know, and he always has and always will. Yeah, and even um, there's I, I'm yeah there's it seems like more and more poker players who you're hearing about that will just, you know, kind of jump on to magic because it is, I mean, it is, you're right. It's the best game ever. And it's very, there's a couple games that have tried and are like spinoffs, but nothing has ever been as good as before or after magic. There, there just isn't. Yeah. There's one game early on that was a better initial design, but eventually it didn't survive. And it was also, uh, also a, Richard Garfield made game. Which game was but, that? Uh, Netrunner. Oh, yeah, Netrunner was amazing. Netrunner, I think, was a better design game from the ground up, but it didn't gain on... It, it just timing-wise, when it was released, it didn't have the support. If it would have came out was initially when, like, The Matrix was big, that game would have been phenomenal. Oh, size. totally. But it was just wasn't... It wasn't the right game for the time, but they took what they learned from that, and they incorporated it into Magic and just made it a better game in general, and over time, it is the best game. And has been for many years and years. Yeah, no doubt. And that's a good point. I never even thought about that, the, the Matrix uh, comparison there. Because if you think about it, Netrunner, yeah, well, yeah, it, it really that it really missed its mark as far as that. That's true. A couple years later, it could have been a whole different thing. But yeah, I mean... What's that game? Like, uh, like you guys mentioned it. Um, you both clearly know, know the game. But I, I've never heard. Like, it was. So I, it was. Like, what's it similar to? I mean, I mean, what, like, give me a, a, a mini introduction to what the game represents. All right, it's basically a cross between what Magic is and the Cyberpunk universe. Yeah. So it is the future of say year twenty twenty or, or beyond when corporations become more powerful than countries, and knowledge in the internet is the be all end all of money. If you have if you have access to unlimited knowledge and and more and, and no secrets of corporations, it is it's worth like gold basically. So the idea is you hook yourself up directly to the internet by um like in the Matrix where you, they plug themselves in via the, the hardware. That's effectively what you're doing in in, in uh, the cyberpunk world. Uh, so you plug yourself directly into the net and you use you use your intelligence to outwit computer programs and. Uh, obstacles in order to hack into a corporation's secrets in order to extract their data. 
That's from a, a theoretical standpoint. Anyways, that's what that's what it's overall looks sounds, like. Sounds sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that a sounds... great game. And, and in case of like Magic, where card advantage is a big deal, or mana production is a big deal, in Netrunner they minimized both facets because in in Netrunner there was a maximum of four actions you could take per turn. One of your actions is effectively gaining mana. Yep. We call which you call bits. So you could take in, you could take one of your four actions to to gain a bit, or but there was, in the case of the mana pool, it never emptied. You, so you could save it up forever. Yeah, and you could cat, and they had like the firewalls, and it was it was actually conceptually a really, really smart idea. It was, and then like another action you could take was to draw a card. So if you wanted to draw a card your turn, that actually took you an action. Now yeah, you didn't theory, automatically you could do it for all four of your actions, but you got you got absolutely nowhere in the game if you did that. <laughs> yeah, it was a great design. Um, you cards like what effectively the Black Lotus was. It cost you a card, but at the same time, was it worth you actually using that using your action action to do that? Because because it takes up one of your four actions to cast what effectively was a black lotus or an ancestral recall. Those cards were not considered broken in that game because card advantage was not nearly as important as as it was in Magic. Yeah, it was a Sounds great So, but yeah, Magic was. Uh was definitely a, a step above the rest. And yeah. it's it's always interesting um, to see how much more mainstream it's gotten and how much it's kind of growing now. Um, and I, I uh, you know, like, I, one quick example was I was at, um, at a really, uh, just like a local nice restaurant with a couple friends and this girl who's... Um, kind of a hot waitress who I know who I uh, don't know in the context of magic and I've never mentioned to her to, to, to her before at all. But we were just sitting there and I was with a bunch of friends and I was just joking around and, you know, so she's like, oh, you know, what's going on? What are you guys coming from? And I'm like, oh, we just came from a magic tournament, you know, to try to kind of embarrass my buddies a little bit because, you know, they're not used to talking to hot girls. And anyway, I was like, oh, you know, magic tournament. She's like, oh, Magic the Gathering? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, how'd you know about that? She's like, well, you know, my ex-boyfriend used to play until, uh, you know, until we split up. But yeah, I know all about it. And so it's kind of funny that even, you know, the least likely of places, you'll still find, you know, it's it's becoming more mainstream. Have you guys noticed that? It's definitely going to be growing. I mean, we go back to a few years ago when Watsi made an effort to make it more mainstream, to make it more publicly acceptable in the in the um, context of the of the sci-fi universe and the science fiction universe. And they made they started advertising on uh, TV stations. They saw started seeing TV uh, magazine articles about it. Started seeing it showing up in Walmarts. Became more acceptable at that point, I think. Socially acceptable. Hmm. And, and, then, this, and then, of course, all the popularity, all the, public, all the publicity gets from the World Series of Poker here and they're out because all these new blood going in that, that were former Magic players that they occasionally talk about on, on the, the World Series of Poker shows. Hmm. Of, course, of course, it made more more people want to start looking into it. And we've been growing. We've had, like, record turnouts now the last, what, three, four years now. They've made some good decisions on marketing, finally. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that they're, like, they're, they're doing really good things to make the player base that likes the game like the game 
that much more, that much more excited. Like Zenikar, for example, I think was just phenomenal. Like making, like understanding that that play, like players like to play lands early and like and make and and don't really like to play lands late. Making it so real, you really like to play lands early and making it relevant late. I think I just think that 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 made the regular player base that much more excited about the game, which whenever players are excited, they're more apt to be you know, obviously excited, whether it be social networking, you know, talking about how much fun you had, things like that. And that just grows the game with people that are, are in tune to those, you know, that, that network and interested, well, what are you talking about? What are you excited about? What, what, you spent your Friday night playing this game. It must be interesting, I, I, and that 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 type of thing is you know it's kind of an amplifier, and that's something that's very real within the last couple of years. Absolutely, and along those notes, I was going to say, oh, well, you've been playing for quite a while now, right? When yep. did you when did you first? What set were you first playing in? Uh, when I, I was. Playing shortly after the release of the dark. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. So um, late '94. I mean, but it's easier to tell. It's funnier to tell people that I've been playing the dark than it is to tell them like a year. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, by, I started by, around by a little ways. Yeah, by a couple of years. I started right around Ice Age or when around like Ice Age, Fallen Empires revised uh, around that whole time period. But I was going to ask, since you've, since you've been playing so long, have you noticed the change over the years? And specifically, what do you think now of the tournament structures? You know, they used to have these huge pre-releases and everything else, and now, you know, we have the game day and the small, you know, they've kind of decentralized it. How do you think that's affected the game, and what are your observations now as opposed to what you thought it was going to be like when they implemented that change? That change has done better for marketing the game. At the same time, it also hurt people who only get to see old friends that they that they would that they had that would only show up at those big regional events. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a number of friends who used to go to only to the pre-releases that lived up in either north of Denver or north uh, Colorado in general. That those are the only times I'd ever see those people. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit harder now that I don't get to keep in touch with some people I used to see. But at the same, and we had, we were getting between 200 and 400 people at those events. So they were, they were massive. But at the same time, yeah, they decentralized it. Yeah, it hurt the regional TO some, and, and the original 13, some of them broke up and gave up being a TO. But it's for marketing the game, those changes have been, have been part of what I think is the cornerstone over the last few years of bringing game, bringing magic back to the masses, mm-hmm. making making it more socially acceptable. There, there, you can go back to like three, four years ago, and you started seeing all these weird changes, weird announcements from Watsi all of a sudden about um, we were going to start stop having the regional uh, the regional pre releases. We were going to they had one year where they invited all the uh, UGO people to nationals. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they had a lot of weird decisions made that one year. It's, but if you look at if you look at what happened since then, tournaments have like doubled in size across the board everywhere. So they 
they made a lot of right decisions, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and There's still lots of room to grow, though. And I think and I think that game days are one way to go about it. I kind of wish Watsy would go back to running states as opposed to Glenn Goddard being the only guy now organizing it. But at the same time, you know, as they looked at it, states wasn't doing them the right type of marketing, which I think is kind of a flawed thinking because I thought it, I think it did. It causes them, lots of people to go out there and buy lots of packs quickly whenever the big sets come out. Yep, yep. And, but I think that's also their goal what game day is supposed to be now. Is instead of what states used to be, I think that's what they're trying to make game day, be, game day become the intent of, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And if you could make any changes in marketing or how Wizards does their tournaments or anything else, what would you change? That's a good question. I never really thought about that. Um, good question, John. You got, him, you got him in the tank. I guess I would try to... Do a little bit of cross promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an example of what I think is a failed cross promotion that I recently saw. You know Transformers, right? Oh yeah. It's another Hasbro owned uh, product line. Yep. Well, I don't know how many months ago, but you could find in Walmart Star Wars themed Transformers. Hmm. So how does Star Wars and Transformers actually cross cross pollinate? It's a George Lucas owned product and Hasbro owned product. It's almost like one of the two had jumped jumped the shark in the end, you know, mm-hmm. just to try to put something out there on the shelves that doesn't make sense, but it's on the shelf under both brand names. It's the same product. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, all right, we got a movie now coming up that may have or recently had magic advertised inside of the movie. And we have a magic scene the movie rumored to be in the works. I hope that they do the right things with that kind of cross-publication. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not make a movie that is that can only be enjoyed by magic enthusiasts, but make a movie that can be enjoyed by the mass public like a big blockbuster that has so much tie into magic that'll make them want to go be interested in looking into it. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. And not, not some cheesy, like, the Smurfs come into New York kind of thing and bring like planeswalkers to New York. Right. That's what I don't want to see. Or like the like that like that D and D movie with uh the with the Wayans brother. I really like those both of those D and D movies, but Oh come on. <laughs> the, oh man. But Snail was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know I am I am either. They were a little over the top. Like, I can understand why, why Jonathan's like, oh, man. <laughs> but well, I, the blue the blue lipped guy, was that was pretty ridiculous, too. Yeah, that was a little over the top. <laughs> but Wayne, Waylon uh, tried to be too funny. Yeah. And in the end, he kind of ruined his character by trying to be too funny. He tried too hard to be funny, let's put it that way. Yeah, well. I'd also like to see him do some, some commercial advertisement, like more TV type. TV commercial type advertisement? They used to try. Well, they, I, remember, I remember commercials of, like a million years ago. It was like in the 90s. Yeah, um, they, had, they, had some, they had some commercials that were on MTV that was in the late 90s. Yeah, those are hilarious. Yeah, especially the uh, one where they're like on the beach. Yeah. Or magic yeah. He's like, you don't, he's like if, if you don't win, you don't eat. <laughs> and then, yes. 
Yeah. I actually have that somewhere buried in one of my hard drives. Oh, that's uh, awesome. we got to put but, that in the show notes. That's going to be in the show notes for all of our listeners yeah, today, so you can check that. it out. That's, that, I want to see that. That's hilarious. <laughs> you can find it on YouTube for sure. Um, but there's also, like, you know, the ogre beating up um, yep. Bob from accounting. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a great one. Those, But those were always on, like, MTV or really late night TV shows like on ESPN when they were doing the... the, the <laughs> The Pro Tour, yep. when they showed the Pro Tour game on the, on ESPN. Yep. See, I would like to see them bring that part back. I really? would like to see them do a TV show again. You think but so? But at the same time, yeah, I think I think they could make the TV show thing work. Because the ESPN thing worked. It was, it was from from what I talked to Brian David Marshall about it a long, long time ago, from what I remember anyways, it's been years. I don't think it was killed because of lack of ratings. It was killed because of uh, them deciding to put more emphasis on the internet broadcast and more money into into the promotion of the Pro Tour itself. See, I always just thought it was it was the type of thing that was just too boring to actually watch on on TV. If you know what I mean. Oh, those were awesome. Then no, it's it's totally awesome for us. But if you don't play Magic and you're watching it. And you're, like, trying to follow the play-by-play. Like, it's, as opposed to any other sport that's on there, where even, like, you know, lawn bowling or pool, any of those ones, it's like... World's Strongest Man? The World's Strongest Man. If only there were a way to combine that magic, that would be awesome. But if if you know what I mean, like, it's kind of hard, in a sense, to be able to have both of those... You know, because for the Magic community, it's awesome. But if you're not growing, you're going on TV, right? And it's hard to get anyone who's not already focused on Magic to watch that type of stuff. And I think maybe now there's so many more viewers and there's also so many more ESPNs than there were back then, like right. in, in my work. But I just think it's it's hard to expand your market share when you... And, and also you have the competition with stuff like GG's Live now, which helps because it, it kind of mainstreams that. But it's also like... You know, people are now used to that as their medium as opposed to watching it on, you know, ESPN, the Ocho, or whatever. Right, and that see, that brings it back to full circle. So MTG Cast is filling in where Watsi decided to drop off with ESPN. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. So we're bringing to the mass basically the radio uh, radio station version of, of Magic, pretty much. Yep. The mass, the mass version of radio, the radio station mass version release of Magic. What, what MTG Cast is effectively bringing. The modern day dojo is a was. The dojo, oh, that brings me back. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, if you go back to the commercials of those things, right, you always saw the commercials, but it was only played during those shows. Mm-hmm. Why don't we see those commercials show up at, say, the World Series of Poker, mm-hmm. where there is some possibility of cross-pollination between the brands? I think it could work in that case. That's a good point. That was, that was actually, I was thinking about... Um, the way that I would answer the question that John asked you, and that was exactly where I would that I, where I would go with it. Like I would market, I would market explicitly. So I think that, that the cross pollination there is so obvious, like in, in potential wise, that you know, why not take advantage of, of the, the the free marketing that you're getting off of some of the uh, well known poker pros that do talk about magic at that level, and we'll even talk about it on the World Series of Poker. Why not make commercials in a similar way that Full Tilt does for poker? For, for poker? Do the same thing with, with poker pros that play Magic, talking about, like, like kind of 
unique but but cool things about Magic that a, a non-Magic player would be intrigued by. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent place of, to, to try to do some cross-pollination cross of the promotion. Yeah, and you definitely have the same demographic there as well. Yeah. The card players. Card players. Gamers, basically. Yeah, they, and I think it would also be helpful for the game as far as that type of marketing is concerned, if we could get more more women interested, but that'll see if that's likely to happen at all. It's kind of hard for that to, to come and go. It, there's been a time where it came and go, it comes and goes, but in order for it to gain any kind of momentum, mm-hmm. you kind of have to have a female doing really well on the pro circuit at right. the same time. Not, it's, it's not, well, yeah, you can get people bring their girlfriend to the game, but that's not really... I mean, that is a way to bring females into Magic, but that's not necessarily the the, the correct way to get that particular market involved. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to have something that makes them interested. That's why, like, this last year, they were they were trying to advertise that this was going to be the year of the woman for, for poker with the, the introduction of uh, Annette Uberstadt and uh, Into the World Series of Poker, plus Vanessa Selps and, um, and whatnot doing well and well at some of the World Poker Tour events. But... At the end, yeah, I got a lot of publicity for that, but did it actually accomplish what it was trying to do? Eh, somewhat, but it didn't quite get there. And they had the foundation of the foundation of Annie Duke playing playing at that high level for quite some time. Yeah, they had. And, we, and Magic, Magic doesn't even have an Annie Duke, let alone and then that you know or, or right. Yeah, it, I it, totally agree. With you. It used to have Michelle Bush and. Uh, Lauren Passmore, but they have since both decided to leave Magic, which is kind of unfortunate because those those two females could have they they at times did actually there was a at least in Colorado and then out there in Boston there was a spike of females while they were big names, and I actually saw more females playing at that point than I have since then. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Annie Duke here, here's another example was it was Annie Duke who played in a Celebrity Apprentice right. That gained a ton of exposure for poker. Yeah, that's yep. true. Even though that she effectively was cheated out of winning, <laughs> but it gained a ton of a ton of uh, popularity for poker this this past year that other people never were interested previously looking into. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to just we have to somehow find if we were going to really uh, try to attack the female market, we had to find somebody with a big name like that that is well known and be able to somehow get them to become nationally known. Well, there's there's one that springs to my mind, which is also a uh, poker player, and I'm going to... What's that? I'm guessing who you're going to say. I'll you finish. Well, let me, let me hear your guess, and I'll let you know. David Williams? David Williams is related to the person I'm going to talk about. But talking about his, his uh, previous girlfriend slash roommate? Yes. And what's her name? Evelyn... Evelyn Ng. Ng. I can never, yeah, it's, it's a, like a Vietnamese last name or whatever. I always get that wrong, the NG name. Um, but yeah, Evelyn Ng has converted to Magic, right? She started playing now. She used to play pool, right? Yes. Oh, she played she did pool play too, pool. Yeah. But yes, you're right. She has started playing Magic. She would be perfect. Williams, and she's actually showed up a couple Grand Prix and played some side drafts on a Pro Tour before. So why don't Watsi... Yeah. Let's go. Let's let's go back to the example we were talking about earlier. 
why not Watsy use her and David Williams and a few others in a commercial in a commercial at the World Series of Poker to, to advertise magic? Or, I, you know what would be awesome for a commercial like that would be if they could do a little mini-series, like, because it's this whole craze now, just a little, like, reality show mini-series where they, they wouldn't have to go into any of the magic. They would just follow them around and just hype up their personalities and have them hang out. They could, like, cut out while they're going to play and be like, oh, yeah, I did this or that, and, and they could talk about how they did in the tournaments that they went to and whatnot, but it would just be based around their personalities, and you could throw in maybe like a Pat Chapin or one of the more kind of like flamboyant, eccentric personalities in Magic, and that would be great. You could do a little mini series like fake documentary on it, and I would watch that. Yeah, um, there's actually a documentary online. I think it's called the For the Game. I, I came I came to game that one. Yeah, I came to game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that that lost funding. Like literally, there has there have been no updates to their website. In uh, I talked to, I was talking with Owen about this, and it was really upsetting because. I think something of that nature had, would have the potential of, of of being fairly successful as as a movie, at least you know, as a as a documentary, not be, necessarily like uh, a blockbuster type thing, but definitely some 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 you know cult following that gets bigger and bigger. Uh, I think that there's potential there. That would be like, great. Well, wouldn't it be interesting to just talk about the, the process of a pro tour and not, not, not even the game, but just all of the the other aspects of what like a pro tour really has, all the, the intrigue about the, the, the tournaments and I, all that stuff? I mean, I that's, think, that's I, a big part of how poker has gotten its Well, success. I think the fascinating part that would be interesting for people who don't play would just to have would just be to have one of the people who is on the gravy train step aside for a brief interview and explain that they travel the world playing this game that they love, and that they do it all on the magic dime, pretty much. And I think that that's probably one of the most interesting things to people who don't play, because if you just go to someone and be like, yeah, you know, I play this card game, there's like some fantasy to it, it's, you know, kind of like some poker elements, but, you know, it's like a fantasy game, they'll be like, oh, I picture you in some damp basement with someone's mom screaming at you about, you know, the food not being ready or whatever. Whereas, if you're like, oh yeah, you know, I travel the world and, you know, I get to go to Amsterdam and Rome and all these interesting places and they're like... Paris. Yeah, Paris, whatever. All, yeah, absolutely. All the exact... That was, that was, I think that's a big part of how poker did so well um, as it became more mainstream is that, that when they were doing their coverage of the World Series, they, they talk as much as possible about... Vegas, or they, or whatever they, and, and, uh, the World Poker Tour would always be in extremely exotic locations, even like outside in, in some cases, just to try and talk about how like you could be this person that's doing this. Yeah, exactly. Let's quickly just go over our our tournament reports that we said we we're going to mention on the last show. Um, and uh, well, we want to talk. We want to hear your your state's report too, even though uh, we got to hear. The, was that a five-part series on your last one? Was that six? Something like that, yeah. So, somewhere around there, yeah. I, I, I broke it up logically based on the time frame as opposed to trying to make it all big one thing. Because in the end, I, I figured out it, it it might be a better product in the end if I break it up logically by sectional. Right, if it was in a linear, you know, because yeah. first you got to hear about entering the tournament, what people are playing, and then you got to hear about the Swiss. It, and it, My original show style 
had a couple of flaws in it. And, and one of those was like, well, if I was doing poorly and I was explaining like round by round action, it became very uninteresting over time if I was doing poorly. No, I loved that part. Ah, oh, that was my favorite. I loved, I loved hearing you be like, you know, you, you would start off the day and then, you know, you would, you would have something happen and then, you know, it just kind of, it shows the progression of how it is in the, you know, tone of voice and conversation. Because I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. And I could totally relate to that. I, I actually like that format quite a bit. That's just me, but I thought that was a great show. The format, I remember how it used to be. And you'd, you know, you'd start off and you'd be like, yeah, you know, I've been playtesting this deck. I, you know, could have done some more playtesting. I'm super prepared or whatever. And you, you know, you kind of had like the phase one, phase two, phase three. And it was so, it was just so like... I don't know. I thought it was really raw, and I thought that was a great way of doing a show and really interesting. And also interesting because it was more kind of personal and subjective than even a lot of the other shows, which are similar, but you don't get the kind of personal touch where you really feel like you're at the tournament. You know, that's one of your buddies who just got knocked out in the fourth round or whatever, and, you know, we've all been there, right? Yeah. Bob. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, you're one of the few people who will actually compliment you for doing that. (laughs) Oh. That's, that's the other thing is I didn't get a ton of feedback either about what people like or didn't like about it. No, I, I did. Fe- I Facebooked you. I Facebooked you. I, I like the shows. I don't know if you remember that. I was just some geeky fanboy, but I'd be like, man, nice show today. This is awesome. But anyway. Um, well, I, I haven't completely changed everything yet. You know, who knows what I'll do next time. Okay. Well, but it's one of those things is like, well, if I spent enough time and I did it like every week, yeah, I would probably – spend effort to tweak the final product. Right. But doing it once every few months. And for anyone that hasn't listened to uh, to Well show that's listened to this, you you should go download the most recent one, and you can even go back in the archives on the MTG Cast site and check out some other ones, but they're really interesting, great shows. And it's also cool because you get a lot of great guests on your shows. Like, you get a lot of interesting, just and they're just your buddies, I think, in the Colorado area, right? Those are just your buddies who, who you're playing with. Pretty much. I mean, there's sometimes where I'll go like uh, to Grand Prix or or like the five Ks from Star City Games where I'll get like other people online. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I missed a few opportunities I should have had at the one in Denver where I could have got Ricky Hayashi and and whatnot. Oh, that would have been good. Uh, I would like to have done that, but you know, just didn't work out for the time. He was too busy for me to bother him. Yeah, and um, but, but uh, like I got like. Josh Napper, who won that event, you know? Yeah. I thought they did a poor job of interviewing on the actual broadcast when I watched it the day the day before for GG's Live. I uh-huh. thought they did a poor job of interviewing him. So I made it a point to when I went when I was there on Sunday to let him know I wanted him specifically to interview to talk about the event. Because mm-hmm. I thought I could just do a flat out better product. Mm-hmm. I, I was still recovering from like a you know, I was still on antibiotics that whole week really but I was no I was just so sick and I couldn't go up there that Saturday mm-hmm. so I but I was watching the events I had no idea was gonna, that he was doing well until <laughs> I turned it on the top eight and was like wow he's there so that's a guy I'm, you know yep. he's somebody I've known for, for 15 20 years you know and it's like well you know somebody I've, who I have a ton of respect for and we played and we've played against each other competitively at the highest ends in Colorado for years well, of course I was rooting for him because, you know, I think he's an awesome person. And and then he wins it. So then, then I just watched how badly they did their interview of it. So I was like, I can just do a ton of, a, a lot better job. So I went, when I was feeling better the next day, and I went up there, 
I made it a point to, to make sure, to give him a better, give him a more appropriate interview. But you know, those kinds of things is like, well, that was a situation that just happened to work out. Um, I've had cases where at some point, I swear I'm going to get Mike Flores to actually sit down and talk on the mic. <laughs> I've come close a few times, but it never actually worked out. I've been interviewed on top eight magic before by Brian David Marshall. So, you know, I, he knows who I am. We've known each other for who knows how long, back in the days of trading cards, rec miscellaneous and the, uh, the Usenet forums <sighs> way back when. Um, there was a period of time when Zvi Moshwitz moved from New York to Denver because he was putting out his own card game that was based on the cyberpunk universe. And I got to know him a little bit while he was up there. Then hmm. he's, he's since back, since after that, he started working at Watsi for a short period of time. And now he's back in New York doing, I think, uh, um, so he has some kind of business up there that's based on economics that he runs, as well as teaches economics at some university. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I uh, remember. Speed does? Yeah, Speed does. Really? Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's an economics guru. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's cool. And um, yeah, so uh, let's quickly cover um, our tournament reports, and then um, uh, well, we'll go over your your states uh, as well. Um, because Greg and I both recently played in states, and Greg got to play in the last PTQ in Chicago. Um, so, uh, Greg, did you want to go first? Or you want to go over states first? Yeah, I, I can. Um, I, I'll go over my state's experience first because uh, okay. it's a bit shorter than John's. Uh, yeah, I, states, states was something that I was looking forward to and looking forward to and looking forward to. Uh, I put a lot of effort in and I think that my read was correct. Uh, I think that John's read was also correct and I think that uh, John definitely picked the, the deck for the tournament and if I play, if I play better in literally the first round, uh, I probably do fairly fairly well based on the decks that sh- showed up. However, I end up drawing in the first round, and I end up then playing against um, not the decks that I expected to see, which is aggro, aggro, aggro. I played against blue-white control, which was not the majority of the field, and was not the majority of the field that did very well. Very few blue-white control decks that, that performed at our state's event. Uh, but there were definitely a lot in the, in the draw bracket. <laughs> so I ended up going um, one to one or something like that. I don't even remember exactly, but it was, I think that's correct. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Um, I love the deck. Like I, I, I why don't you go over the, the, why don't you explain the deck that you played to our, to our listeners right quick? Oh, right, that's right. That was something that we kept um, kept from from our viewers or from our listeners last week uh, because I, I I really didn't expect anybody to play it, and to my knowledge, it wasn't played anywhere. Uh, it was a, a mono white control uh, Eldrazi control deck. So it's basically taking the pieces of a Eldrazi ramp deck, like the mono green Eldrazi ramp deck. And then also all of the um, control pieces of a mono-white list and putting those together. So uh, seven sweepers, four Day of Judgments, and three all this dust. They were complete houses all day. Um, some 
some game li- life effects. Um, survival cash was was in the deck, and it was a complete house. Uh, Wall of Omens, Pilgrim's Eye, um, and then cards that were um, Wormcoil Engine, which was also a complete house. I, mean, I, I, I stick that against any aggro player, and I pretty much just win. And then there were um, on the on the top end we had uh, some Eldrazi. So uh, I don't have the I don't have all the cards sitting right on top of my my, my head right now. We'll actually put those in the in the show show notes so people can take a look at it. It was definitely a fun list. It's definitely if you're playing if you're playing standard um, like F and M's or whatever, and and you want to play like something a little little different, and especially if you've got like an aggro based F and M. I definitely recommend that list because it was a lot of fun. Like, I definitely, I, I had a blast. But blue white, blue white ruined my day a little bit. More, more from from a, a standpoint of the games going on forever and blue white being fairly confident that it could pull out of games, whether they whether they quote or not. You know, I, I I was definitely there to to win tournaments, not to to draw for eight rounds. So I, if I didn't think that I could win in a reasonable amount of time, I, I, I conceded a game to go on to the next game to try and get me get me there. Which I, uh, I I I agree with that, and it didn't it didn't end up turning out well for me. But I, I definitely agree with that sentiment because it's something that I need to um, to do more just in general. So that was that was it was it was an experience, but. Uh, not a, excuse me. Uh, not exactly the, the performance I was looking for, but John John had a little bit different experience, and uh, definitely definitely a positive one that he should uh, go ahead and tell us all about right now. Sure. Well, I had a great time at States because it's just such a fun tournament. I love all the new decks that come out and seeing all the interesting innovations people have. And the deck that I chose to go with was the blue-red Destructive Force one that did well at the New York City 5K. Um, And the reason why I wanted to go with that one was I had a couple um, homebrews I was working on, but they were not panning out, and that looked like the funnest deck to me of all the ones that top aided. And I I just loved it. It kind of reminds me of the Ponza deck, which was like this great Wisconsin deck from back in the day that used to run wildfires and just a big red awesomeness. Um, and I love Destructive Force. I always wanted to play with it, so it was a deck for it. And um, I tweaked it a little bit. Um, I actually, I, well, I tweaked the sideboard quite a bit, and I tweaked the the main deck a bit. Last minute, um, I saw Cole up there and talked to him about it, and he took a look and suggested I run instead of uh, six chases. He wanted me to run eight, so I compromised and ran seven in the main and one in the board. Um, one Jace Bellerin in the board, and all the rest were main, and that was absolutely correct. In fact, I think it should have been seven Jace Bellerin, but Jace the Mind Sculptor in the board, and the the if at all, and the Jace Bellerin should have been in. That was insane. The fourth Jace Bellerin, I think. That was definitely correct, and thanks to him for that suggestion. I also really liked, you know, the the destructive force was just insane all day. The main deck for Pyroclasms was great for this format. I also had I went with instead of three or two bolts and one or whatever it was. I don't remember two bolts and one burst lightning. I think um, was how the original one was. I went with three burst lightnings. 
And it was a tough choice, but the difference between Bolt and Burst Lightning to me in that tournament would be Bolt can get rid of Vengevine, and it can also get rid of a Jace the Mind Sculptor if they brainstorm first turn, which is important. But I thought that um, the reason why I wanted the Burst Lightnings instead was because Burst Lightning can get rid of a cough, which is a huge problem for the deck. Luckily, I didn't run into too many of those that day, but um, it can get rid of that, and it can also, that one extra point can be relevant sometimes um, when finishing someone off, and it was for three of the games I played in. If it was a Lightning Bolt main deck uh, game one, I wouldn't have won, but because it was a Burst Lightning, I was able to get in two extra damage with two of them kicked, uh, which won me the game, and wouldn't have if it was just a Bolt. I ended up going... X and O for the I went four and O, and then I lost one to Jed, who ended up winning. We were playing a mirror match, and I was playing. He was playing um, first, so he, uh, you know, he just uh, kind of. I, I get him game one, game two. He gets his Jaces online before I do, and I have to start playing my Jaces to kill his Jaces. And by then, he's just up by uh, such a large amount that I wasn't able to recover. Game three, I mulligan to six, mulligan to five, keep an island, spell pierce, ever-flowing chalice, negate, and jace, um, Bellerin. And I'm like, well, if I keep mulliganing, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be really rough if I go down to four, but if I can draw an island or a preordain, I can get out of this. So I go land, go, he goes island, go, I draw and it's a preordain, so I preordain, which he spell pierces, and after that it was pretty rough beats. I was stuck on... I, I did end up getting another land after three turns, but by then he had his frost heighten out, and it was pretty much game over. Um, but he's a you know great guy, and he's fun to play against. And I don't feel like I made any play mistakes that um, were anything that cost me the games when I lost to him, so I was fine with that. Um, and then I ended up winning, winning, and then losing to Colin, who was the um, state champion a uh, couple... Was it last year or two years ago? I think two years ago. Um, and he was playing just a mono-red, insanely fast deck. And it goes to game three. Game three, I just get off of my... I, I don't have any red sources, even though I saw seven extra cards, or six extra cards that game. If I get any red sources, I wipe the board with counter spells in hand and uh, two burst lightnings in hand. Um, so, And he was he would have had uh, one card left in his hand at that point. So um, I definitely would have smashed. But again, you know, I don't think I lost that due to play mistakes, so I'm okay with it. Um, and that's an important lesson that I would take home is that you can get mad at yourself if you're making play mistakes that are costing you, and you can learn from that. But sometimes you're just going to get unlucky. It's literally a game where you shuffle the deck, you present it, and then you roll dice before you start any game. So there's necessarily luck in it. But if you get mad at that and you're being results-oriented, as um, limited resources likes to say, then there's an issue because it's not going to make you a better player. And if you're complaining about mana screw this or, you know, I got... You know, I got mana flooded that or whatever. It's actually going to hurt you as a player. But if you look back on your games and think about the decision trees that you could go down, you know, and, and I don't know, Otwell, how you feel after these tournaments, but I always try to look at each of the decision trees, and Greg and I talk about this constantly. Um, but but that's kind of what I try to do. Do you have, like, a 
after a, a tournament ritual that you go through like that, or, or how do you think about the games that you played in? I sometimes do it either after the game itself or after the match itself. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I will review what I've done, where I made some important decisions, and in retrospect, whether they the right decision or the bad decision in the end. It, <clears throat> you always you can't sit there and blame luck for your wins and losses. You just can't because in that if you do that, you are blind to the idea that you don't know how to improve your game. You have to re- analyze your game. You have to analyze every aspect of your game, be results-oriented in order to prove or to find the flaws in the game in the game you played or where you've made poor choices. I mean, there's lots of times where I'll make a decision based on incomplete information that, in the end, wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that unless you see the situation enough times to always know what the right, situ- right thing to do. That's when people say... Playtesting is necessary. Well, you playtest not only to prove your deck, but also to make sure you see enough situations to know where those right decisions are to be made. Completely agree. Now, the only way to analyze that is to know that is by is analyzing your own game, your own play in that game, good, bad, or indifferent. You have to analyze it objectively. Yeah. Yes. I do about every. I do it every match. So some games, in fact, I will. In fact, instead of just conceding matches or ending the game, like just keeping my cards. I will sometimes sit there and pause for like a minute or two, look like I'm like in the tank, mm-hmm. and, uh, and in reality, is while the game is still, I've, I've lost the game, and I know I've lost the game, I sometimes will tank to figure out where I went wrong in that game, mm-hmm. without even picking up the board yet. <laughs> Just let your opponent hang. It's like, oh, what does he have that he's going to get me with? Has he been setting yes. a trap this whole time? Oh yeah, something, <laughs> something like that. They'll just like, what the hell, is, what are you stalling for kind of thing. Yeah. That's funny. And, when, and, if, and if you're about to scoop anyway... Like it's 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 likely a scenario where your opponent isn't going to mind that much because they they realize that right hey this game is over you know so and and, I, and I've and I've done I actually did, I've done that both at the PTQ and at states and I don't know if I did that before that that's actually fascinating um uh, where I, I I stopped and I was like okay I'm pretty sure that I've lost this game and I'm, I'm about to 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 just scoop. But give me give me a second. I, I'm going to take a long a long term this time, and and I just assessed, and I, I think I did the exact same thing you're just talking about. That's fascinating because I, I don't think I did that before. So you guys had a little uh, a moment of clarity together. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> it was good for me. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I uh, I I had. I had a blast at States. Um, I ended up getting ninth on, off of some interesting breakers, the way that it went down. I got paired up in the last round against a blue-white control guy that I think Greg played against, and a uh, great guy, Brian Roth, who um, is just a really nice guy. Uh, and he um, had kind of a, just a, you know, your standard, like, but he's running Vencers and everything else. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was a good game, but I I beat him getting paired up. So I was leading the bracket except for one guy who was the other X one and one, uh, who ended up getting in 
um, or excuse me, X and two, who ended up getting in uh, just over me, and then I was well over my opponents. And our buddy Tony uh, actually played against him, so and he he just ended up getting. It was actually a really good match for him, but he ended up getting, I guess, um, some bad bad luck on it, is is how it was described to me. So that happens, but yeah, it was a blast. And uh, for anyone that hasn't heard, Chris, uh, can you give us a synopsis of your uh, state's experience? Uh, it was fairly long, and I did it with no sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I decided to, well, I, I was so busy at work, like, the, the two, three weeks prior to States that I just didn't have time to, to spend in the evenings playtesting with anybody. So I built my deck effectively by starting a post on Facebook and seeing who would respond to this post on how to build a better blue-white control deck. And... And what would happen with that and see where it would went. And it was actually kind of humorous in retrospect because I got like 40 responses in the, in the end before I, I finally committed to a, to a basic deck list design of what people thought was wrong with it, what people thought could be improved by it. They thought where I was being stupid with Mimic Vat because I thought Mimic Vat was the be-all, end-all since it was amazing for me at the pre-release. Uh, <clears throat> where... Trying to run blue-white control with no permission nowadays is probably not such a hot idea. Or it's something I basically made my bread and butter on by by uh, for years mm-hmm. as a blue-white player. People assumed I ran permission and I never did. <laughs> so you got that, that added value. Yeah, and I and basically overloaded my white removal by doing so. <laughs> Nice. That's that's actually kind of funny because the deck that Greg was playing, that white deck, I saw another buddy of ours, Jake, playing, and he um, was often in matches. Yeah, and and he was often in matches where it's such a control deck that he would be like have some mana untapped, and his opponent would be like, uh, you know, whatever Koth or whatever it was, and like look at him. You're like, oh yeah, you don't have any counter spells, you're playing white. And just play it, but he totally, you know, it's such a controlling archetype. He's like, oh, he's gotta, you know, I gotta ask for permission to play any of my spells. Because he's totally gonna yeah. counter some of these. Yeah, you know, people were doing that all day long. <laughs> with what I was testing before, but when I went to states, actually, this time, I did run permission. In fact, I ran more permission in that deck in, in I don't know how many years from an big tournament. Hmm. I ran eight total permission spells. <laughs> eight main <laughs> deck. Is- which, which, in retrospect, is actually a lot for me, but it's not a lot for the archetype. That makes sense. Well, although these days we've been a little counter spell light, so it's kind of nice to see those getting getting back in. Um, yes. So, and so, uh, what, what, what did you end up going? I went five and three mm-hmm. because I don't drop in tournaments. Mm-hmm. No matter how good or bad I do, I generally don't drop because I like to pad my stats. And plus, and you're going there to play, right? It's, it's, I'm going there to play. Yeah. yeah and, and, I'm taking the day, and I'm going to play every match I can. Yeah. I'm going to do, for good, bad, or different, I'm going to try to play every game I can. And I'm still in the, somewhere around the top 200 players in the world in total DCI matches recorded. Oh, wow. So, I'm still, you know, even though I don't get to play as many tournaments as I once did, there was a point in time where I was actually number one. Oh, and I'd wow. I'd like to get back to that someday, if, assuming that the other people have since quit. But it's been like two or three years since I've gotten... Uh, Ron Foster to give me the, the, the actual numbers. But that does right. that doesn't that doesn't include Magic Online, right? That can't be, include Magic Online. Yeah, it does not include Magic Online. Okay. DCI sanctioned tournament events. Okay. Tournament okay. Games. Yeah, matches. Yeah. Tournament matches. 
I'm around I'm around um um thirty two hundred I think right now. Wow. Who's number one? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know who uh when I talked to Ron Foster at, at Nationals one year. Mm-hmm. Because he had the access to database, and he was the uh, DCI database uh, coordinator mm-hmm. guy. He also was a fluent Japanese speaker. Um, he pointed out to me a judge in, in Japan who passed me like two years prior to that. But he had the benefit of, of living you know, or going, going to school at the time at a, uh, a local um, Japanese university that was like only a couple blocks away from a Watsi owned game store oh, that wow. ran that ran two to three tournaments a day. So in, and even though he started two years after me, because he had that nice convenience there, he was able to surpass me in total events at one point. Wow. Which, you know, nothing I can do about that. <laughs> but anyways, um, back to the events. So, so I, I basically, the, the Facebook experiment back that's and, awesome. Uh, I gave you a link in, in this so you can add it to the show notes. Cool. Of where it went. Um, effectively, in the end, I was playing blue white control. I dumped the idea of Venser. I gave up on Venser. I still used L- two Elspeths in the deck with no Gideons. Eight permission spells. Uh, three day of judgments in the main. In retrospect, I wish I had four in the main all day. Bane Slayer Angels. Not that far different than what you'd expect from a classic blue-white deck. Were you running uh, Sun Titan? I did not run Sun Titan in the end. Okay. Um, when I had the version going that I did get some time to play test, it had no permission spells, and I did have Venser and did have Sun Titan in it. And I went 0-24 in games that night with it. So... <laughs> That eventually made me decide I needed to put some permission in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, at the events, the the deck I the one deck that frustrated me that I lost too that I thought was a very winnable game was against Green White Allies, I believe, in round six. That basically that was a point where I you just have to point to like sometimes you just have bad luck in matches, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that was the one set of games where I had that kind of situation show up getting stuck on three land in both games, which was just frustrating. Um, but the other games I played, I played against two mono-black control decks, uh, one of which, or both of which I actually beat really badly because I had sideboarded four Luminarch Ascensions and three uh, lane line, Ley Lines of Sanctity. And not being able to be targeted by discard spells is such a huge benefit in that kind of matchup. <laughs> so, and then dumping out turn two, making angels becomes just a just a complete blowout against uh, against a, mo- a mono black control deck because they just cannot shut you down long enough with targeted removal. So, and then I also played a blue white against a, a mirror match where the guy did have Sun Titans in his deck, but because I had the four Illuminarchs, and because I was running eight counters, and he was running, I think, either four or five total. Even, even though he had better drawing uh, package in his, in his deck, where he had uh, Little Jace and Big Jace and Jace's Ingenuity and Preordains, and whereas I just had Preordains and Big Jace in my main deck, and Little Jace in the sideboard, 
he had a better drawing engine. So he, so he was able to beat me in total just card advantage, basically beat me in game one. But in games two and three, because I had the ability to, to, to fight off his card advantage as well as uh, push through Luminarch Ascensions when it came time, that I was able to basically race him in the end and then beat him that way. Uh, I also played against um, a green-white quest for the Holy Relic deck that I made some play mistakes against. Like what? Um, well, he had a Vengevine in play, and he had already blown one quest for the Holy Relic to go get a um, uh, Argentum armor. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. I don't didn't know that deck list at all, and I hadn't seen it up to that point. So I didn't know exactly what was in his deck, but he had like Mem Knights, he had sure. a two two flyer, white flyer that you had to pick up an artifact with, and that kind of stuff, right? And he had a second quest in play at that point with like three counters on it. Mm-hmm. And his only creature he could attack with me for profit, basically, was uh, uh, Avenge Vine. Everything else I was able to defend with what I had in play and, and and not have to, you know, not be in any kind of da- uh, hurtful position. So I condemned his Vengevine, since he was still stuck at, like, two land and the other agent- the other armor was just sitting there unattached to anything. So because I condemned that, when I was at, like, 29 life, I think, at the time, or 30s, 30s, I was either the 20, uh, uh, high 20s or, like, lower 30s at the time when he attacked. I condemned it, even though I didn't need to, because I had plenty of time where I could just you know, I could have took some damage and been fine with a buffer zone. Um, the following turn, after I, he condemned it, he dropped uh, a Memnite and the white guy you pick up an artifact to recast the Memnite to blow off the second uh, quest for the Holy Relic to get out a second Argentum armor on his stuff, which he then used in that attack phase to kill my Baneslayer Angel, and then the following turn to kill off my Elspeth, so that I could quit making guys clogging up the board. Whereas, if I would have held on to the Condemns for a couple of turns and took the damage from the, or threw out one blocker in front of the, the um, Benjamin for a while, which I could have done very easily, or just took him the damage for a couple of turns, but fine. I could have waited till he used that second armor to see if he had a second Argent, or second quest to see if he had an Argentum armor in his deck, because I didn't know if he only had one or maybe two. And because of that, not saving the saving the condemn for the second guy with the, with the armor, this is the second armor. I I would have still lost my bane slayer angel, but that condemn would have allowed not allowed him to blow me out with their gentle armor. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, because you you would have been able to remove it before um, it gets out of hand. Yeah, I would have been able to stop it before you blown up too many different things. I would have still been able to cloud the board with little guys and. and using Elspeth like every other turn to make dudes. You probably could have recovered. You would be gaining life and stabilize a little bit. Yeah, I would have stabilized longer. I would have bought myself some turns in the game, and eventually I would have drawn into another dead judgment, sure. which is what I was really looking, wanted to get to. And at the time I finally lost that game, it was like three from the top. So I know I could have eventually dragged out the game long enough to, to, make, to have that matter. Okay. Uh, granted, I was still lost my Bane Slayer Angel, but I would have been in a much better position if I would have just played it correctly. Yeah, and that that was a, definitely an interesting 
interaction, like an awesome story. And for our listeners, we want to put it out there. We want to hear your awesome stories from states too. So anything that, you know, happened, we'd love to hear about. But specifically, if you have some interesting interactions that happened or some misplays or anything like that that you want to share, please uh, shoot us an email. You can reach us at fourspikes at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Facebook or through the show notes. But let us know uh, what happened to you at States and any interesting interactions that you guys had. Um, and, uh, well, Greg, you still with us? Greg, you there? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my mic is on mute. Okay, sh- should, we, uh, should we move on and hear about your, your story at the PTQ yesterday? Sure. Um, yeah, I can try. Sure. That sounds like that's a good idea. Um, first and <laughs> foremost, uh, PTQ season, which basically just started, uh, not PTQ season, um, the, the, the PTQ season that just started is all sealed. So, um, sealed scars has really only been around since pre-release and release weekend. So it's a very, very fresh and virgin format that um, some people have, have done uh, a little bit of writing about, but there's very little out there currently, uh, which is great. <laughs> like, that was that was the thing that I was looking forward to the most, was the fact that nobody was going to be real great at this format. But at the same time, there's still been, you know, if you went to all the events that you possibly could on pre-release and release weekends alone, you very easily could have, have, have gone to, like, eight events if you're in a larger area. So I, I was very aware of that, um, but I figured that I would compensate my lack of, of sealed experience outside of those two weekends by trying to draft as much as possible and get as much familiarity with the, the set as possible. So anyway, that was my like my prep for for the PTQ, um, and I and I, and I drafted a lot of what what I would consider crap decks, not intentionally like bad, but intentionally different than what I thought at that time was just clearly the best deck, which was um, blue-white, uh, excuse me, white-red uh, Metalcraft. I think that's the best deck in, in, in a format, with the exception of um, Ultra Aggro Infect with with one or two bombs that can very that can very easily get there. But I thought that, I th- I thought that, that was it. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to know what else was in there because if my pool doesn't have anything that meets that criteria, I, I, I want to have a good idea of, of what else could get there, and I want to also have an idea of what else other people are playing. So anyway, I forced a couple of awkward decks. Uh, it led to a, a, like two or three drafts that were like one, two um, uh, drafts, which is really unpleasant and awful, but at the same time, I got a really good experience of what those cards were, and it, that proved to be very valuable in my PTQ uh, run. So anyway, I go, we, uh, we drive down uh, Saturday morning, a um, couple of local, uh, local, I'm going to say greats, that, that might be overstating a little bit, we're, everybody else was good, <laughs> and then there was me, <laughs> Bobby Hill, um, Rhino, uh, Owen Turtonwald, uh, Matt Farwell. We had, we, had, we had a bunch of people that, that have, have been in the Magic, uh, the Milwaukee Magic community for quite some time, including uh, one notable pro. So uh, we all drove down, we were talking about different cards, like pretty much the whole way, which was great. And then um, we all started 
off, we saw a bunch of other Milwaukee people and then some, some Madison pros that we that most of us know. Um, and the first round, both me and Owen lost, and then pretty much everybody else won in their first round, uh, which was just awful. Um, my, my pool was very interesting. Uh, I got... I had a, a Venser, two Volition Reigns, uh, which, w- and then a bunch of uh, a bunch of white and some some support blue cards and a uh, uh, a lot of good support artifacts. the The pool was a type of pool where, if I'm the the deeper that I go, the longer that I'm around, the better that the matchups are going to be the, the like volition reigns is going to be more of a house later in the tournament than it is against you know a random person with you know not necessarily really great cards whereas when you're when you're later in the tournament if you're doing well you're going to see not so like housey bomb bomb rares or mythics that are a big part of why that particular person got there and volition reigns Using that to, to steal their sort of body and mind, or whatever they're using to to win games, is going to be really good. So I definitely uh, I, I focused on that. I mean, you're not if you've got Venser in your pool, you're probably going to play it. But still, I, I, I focused around that. I had um, I had some really solid red cards in the pool. Uh, Galvanic Blast. Uh, the we got it. It's a hasty with. Um, if it, if it, with Metalcraft, Hasty and gets plus three, plus three. But I, I didn't have, I, I didn't, it didn't make any sense with 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 uh, the cards that I knew I was going to be playing. Just knew I was going to be playing. It didn't make any sense to stretch the mana base that that much. And I, I, I literally stared at the cards and I said, "With does this look like a deck that could get there?" I'm like, "It's going to win games that it shouldn't." It's also going to lose games that it shouldn't. So I cut the red uh, as much as it pained me, and I might even had a shatter. Like it was, it was like there were, there were there were some cards that were very strong, but I just cut those. Played my blue, um, my blue white, and um, after losing in the first round, sat down with Owen, and we 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 spent as much time as we could. Uh, in that little lull between the first and second round, just playing game after game, like uber fast, you know, game after game after game. And I lost six out of seven or something crazy. Like I just, I lost, but I, I got to feel my deck out. And that was something that, you know, uh, gold fishing, which is when you uh, take your deck and you just draw a sample hand, seven cards, you look at it and then maybe keep going and, and uh, like pretend to play, one player magic. That is something that is very, very something that I recommend to anybody whenever they're they're drafting or, or, or playing sealed, but especially at bigger events where it you really want to start off good. I certainly didn't do that. I think it's a big part of why I lost because I think that I, uh, I well, I don't think that I, I. I know that I made a poor decision on mulliganing in in the the first game, and that just put. Losing, losing the first game and putting it out of reach for me. But anyway, so um, go on. Match two, I, I, I win. Um, Owen 
Owen wins his, his match too, and most of the people that won their first round from uh, our group and, and from Madison lost. But not everybody. There were a couple people that didn't. Uh, but it was just funny because I'll anyway. So um, I then end up in the third round, I end up drawing. Um, game one, I have a, a fairly lockout type win with um, Venser blinking a contagion clasp and then proliferating to um, on, the, on the following turn um, proliferating to add one more to, to Venser to be able to ultimate um, and then I'm basically in lockout mode but my opponent like did something that was questionable and there was there was a there was a judge call and, and that call was then subsequently appealed and it was something where everybody around us knew that the that the appeal was going to be was going to like overturn the original ruling, wait, wait, wait. which it did. Wait, Greg, you got to go over the whole story now. Tell us exactly what happened. <clears throat> okay, so let me recall. All right, yes. So I've got I'm the active player, and uh, I've got a chrome steed. I've got two chrome steeds in play. And then I've got another dude. I think it was like a, a Glenhawk. One of the Chrome Steeds is equipped with a Stratus Scythe, which is okay. So all these cards, Chrome Steed is a two-two uh, artifact that costs four that gets Metalcraft that has Metalcraft plus two plus two. Uh, Glenhawk is Glen irrelevant to the situation. Um, and a Stratus Scythe is a rare. That was a performer uh, throughout the day for me. It is, uh, I can't recall the cost. I believe that it is three. Yeah, no, I, I, it is. It's, it costs three. It, it's a it cost is three, but um, it has an imprint. So you play it for three, you imprint, you go get a land. <clears throat> excuse me, you go get a land out of your out of your deck. You imprint that land on the card, and then. Um, Whenever this this gets equipped to a creature, that creature gets plus X plus X equal to the quantity of that land on the battlefield. Um, th this means that if you're playing against somebody with the same color um, deck as you or, or matches one of the colors that you have, you go and get that card because it, it counts all of your islands and their islands, for example. So, uh, anyway, so I've got a big chrome steed and a little chrome steed. I... Uh, I say attempt to go to or I go to go to combat. He pauses. He says, "At the end of your main phase," and then taps my chrome steed that has a stratus scythe on it. Uh, he taps it. I, I believe he had like the uh, like a tumble magnet, or uh, yeah, I think it was a tumble magnet that had a couple counters on it. Well, the way that he then. Um, the way that he said that, because he's doing it in my main phase, I then have, after, I mean, I, I allow him to do that, I then have to re regain priority and have the ability within my main phase to spend three mana to equip at sorcery speed that, that strategize to another guy and can, can attack with this guy that, that is, is quite a bit larger. Um, he didn't believe that I had that opportunity. So there was a judge call. The 
first guy that comes over says that there's that because I I ended my main phase or or, or because I attempted to end. There's like a mini phase that's like end of main phase one within main phase, and that I, because I went to that point, I cannot go back and do something for us. Sitting next to us is, is a level is, is um, my, my opponent's a level one judge. He says he, he, has, he doesn't really know like whether that's correct or not. Uh, I appeal it while while that judge is going to, to find the, the head judge. There is to the right of us uh, a game that basically just ended. One of those players is actually one of the judges that was um, judging states um, in in Madison last weekend and he says it wouldn't make any sense to me for there to be for, for this ruling to not be overturned because there's no such thing as like sub um, aspects of a phase sub phases within a phase there's no there's there's no sub sag yeah there's not there's not yeah so um the the head judge comes back I I explain the situation. He says that's fine. You do not move from one phase to the next phase until both players have passed priority, which is a very simple ruling, very straightforward, very logical. And he said, "Yeah, the other guy was wrong." So his ruling didn't take very long. However, between the time that the original judge um, left the table and the head judge coming back, like ten minutes transpired. And in a, in a PTQ of like 200 and it was actually a pretty good tur- turnout for, for, for that PTQ location. It's like 250 people. For a PTQ of that size, it should not take that long to find a head judge, in my opinion. No, that's a ridiculous amount of time. So anyway, I mean, eventually eventually comes back and the whole process, <coughs> uh, we asked for an extension. Excuse me. And the, the extension duration... Um, that was written down was something that was single digits. I don't remember what it was. I think it was like seven minutes was what was written down. And uh, that ends up being rather important because the entire duration from the beginning of the judge call to the end of the judge call was significantly more than that. And the head judge is what wrote, wrote it down. So I didn't really feel like, I, I don't know of a process of appealing the, the duration to anybody other than the head judge who just wrote that down. So I think that's not likely to, to be fruitful. Whether that was correct or not, I, I, I don't know. But um, we didn't proceed. I proceed to win that game two turns later. One, one turn later. The next turn, in fact, actually. Um, I have I have lethal. And um, we then go to, to game two with very little time on clock. Very little. He is playing a an infect deck. Well, <clears throat> needless to say, he's got a lot of, of ways of quickly getting poison counters and, and, and getting very, very close. And I go to nine poison counters. Um, and then kind of recover. I blow up his board. He's got no cards in hand. Uh, when we go to turns. When time... When, when time when time is um, not only when time is called, but when the extension who was which was being um, counted by the judge that originally originally appealed his ruling, was. Um, and I'm not sure how 
how that duration was was managed, but definitely it it it, it seems it seemed ex- I don't know. It's uh, anyway, whatever. Moving moving forward, the time was called during my opponent's um, end phase. Yeah, during so during during their their end phase, he had my opponent had passed priority. I had not yet passed priority. Um, like I, I was I was I was ready to start change my lands. My opponent um, actually then said, "Hold on," and then said, "Oh, never mind." And then I like, like go to untap my lands, and, and uh, he, he says, "Okay, this is actual time around active player." So it so debatably could have been my opponent, could have been mine. I, I think it was probably. But anyway, that was so. Um, long story short, on this, my opponent ends up winning on turn five, which is his turn, off of a top deck contagion class, which is the only card in his deck that can actually deal me the ninth poison. Because I got I got a few guys. I can't win, but I I, I I can't lose to any card other than that one. He said that yeah, that was the only card in my deck, and we end up drawing. So I am now at this point one 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 in the tournament, which is a little grim, definitely disappointing. But I didn't really feel that I could have done a whole lot more in the scenario of the second game. We played very very quickly, and inevitably we got a game finished in what was not a whole lot of time. Uh, the first game should have gone faster, but it's very hard when you're winning a game. As long if you're if you are attempting to play it quickly, it's very hard to like, request that your opponent concede the game so you can go on to the next game. That's 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 very awkward, at least for me. So um, I then go on after that to do very well um, alongside um, a number of other people we had from from Milwaukee. Um, at like going into round five, there were. Two or three people that were four zero. Um, Owen was three and one. I was two one one, which wasn't awful, but it wasn't good going into the fourth to the to the fifth round. Um, yeah, and then by that point, people start to to drop to drop off. Um, two players that were four four and zero lost. Um, and then they get paired against each other and draw. So going into the seventh round, um, I end up having the same record because I end up winning and then winning. <clears throat> Playing one of one of my uh, one of our, our local local players, uh, I end up winning that and then winning again. And all of a sudden, I've got a a record that is just shy of the top the top eight. Um, and if if tiebreakers go well. I, I get there, and unfortunately, they didn't, and I took ninth in the tournament. So it was a good time. Uh, it was a, it was actually a great experience. I after going one one one, I, I went XO, and uh, it was a it was a great it was it, it, right as I expected when I was building the deck. Volition range got consistently stronger and stronger, and uh, I, I ended up with a, a very solid deck and, and experience. So. That was that was my PTQ report. Perhaps a little on the long side. Sorry, guys. No, that's a good good report. And um, yeah, it's always it's always uh, rough to finish ninth in the PTQ as opposed to going higher. But well done on a good showing. And those PTQs are um, very competitive, especially in that area. So good job on that. 
Um, one, one thing I wanted to add, Owen and Owen, like, Owen was like, I'm surprised I didn't play Owen because Owen was like right next to me all day. Um, he ended up with he had a kind of a, a bad tiebreaker because he lost in the first round, so he was at the I think the bottom of that that bracket. But because I had a draw in a not very draw friendly format, I was at like at the at the, the top of the. <laughs> my bracket so we kept like being seated next to each other all day uh, and that means that Owen also did very well and he ended up X1 so he went all of his rounds from 2 on to 8 and ends up top 8ing and then uh, he wins the first round but loses in the second round of top 8 so he, like, he top 4 so that was something notable it was, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty good day for, for our car considering that that's always good to have it's always enjoyable to have a trip where you have at least one if two people do really well. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, it led for you know great conversation on the way back, uh, though because we were there, because we did so well, uh, we were like the only only Milwaukee people that were still around by the the end of the night. So we definitely, I think, we left Illinois midnight or something. I don't even know. But no, it was, worse, it was worse than that. We, we, we got to food just before midnight. Um, so it was a very long day. Yeah, there's lots of times where I had to drive all to Denver for RPGs. And I won't get back home until midnight to 2 a.m. in the morning because it's a good hour and a half to two-hour drive from where I live at to where the tournament's usually held at. Yeah, same, same for us. The, uh, we're, we're from Milwaukee, and this PTQ was, was in... Uh, West of Chicago, basically Chicago. I mean, basically the suburb of Chicago, okay. uh, which is like, like an hour and a half, give or take. So, so near Gary, Indiana. Um, not not east, um, but west. Okay. And and if you, if you so you kind of understand that area. It's actually um um west and and north of 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 like Gary, Indiana location it's actually north of, of that uh as well so it's it's a reasonable it's, it's a it's a reasonable drive i mean it's definitely something you can you, you do the morning of but you know, for sure but uh you know it's not it's not next door either so the question then how many top eights have you had in ptqs ptqs i'm 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 new to ptq this is my this is my this is my first sealed ptq which i think is Probably something to be said. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I took ninth in my first one, so that was pretty cool. Um, PTQs, I haven't, I haven't, I've been to I think three PTQs now. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm really like, don't get me wrong, I love it, and I would consider myself like somebody asked me a question of like, so are you like a PTQ grinder? And I'm like, well, how, how do you want me to respond? <laughs> like, am I would I consider myself now and going forward a PTQ grinder? Absolutely, hopefully. Somebody that does well enough, or they're not really a grinder per se. But um, yeah, have I been? Not really, because of a lack of opportunity, both from a geographic standpoint. There weren't there weren't that many in in this area. There were there were a couple, um, but I didn't I didn't play extended, and I and I, and I only came back to, to Magic last the, uh, December, not December, October of last year. So I, I hadn't I hadn't been a uh, a part of the the circuit because I didn't know that the circuit existed. 
So uh, no, I, have, I don't have I don't have the, that kind of pedigree. Uh, a lot of a lot of players in our group do though. Like I mean, the quantity of pins that some of the people have is just nuts. I mean, Ryan has got like eight. I mean, I, I'm not sure about Jonathan. Um, John, John, have you had much success at PTQs? Uh, I have. I haven't been to very many recently. So uh, I would say overall, um, maybe five and only one W. Um, that was back in the day. Uh, but yeah, just it's a lot harder with work and real life getting in the way to be as, as many PTQs, but I've kind of made it a personal goal. I want to do everything I can within reason to get to Paris. Um, so I'm going to try to get there and get to as many PTQs this season as possible because that would be amazing. And um, I think Sealed is just a great format to qualify in. It's so fun. So we'll see. Hopefully this, this time around uh, we'll get there. But how about you, uh, Oddwell? How many top eights in the PTQs? It's kind of funny. I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely somewhere over a dozen, probably not two dozen. Okay. Um, unlike Paul Bradford, who I tend to drag to lots of these events and who can seem to pick up a deck cold at night and still top eight shit with. That's pretty sweet. He has something like... 20, somewhere between 25 and 30 top eights at PTQs. Wow. But but no wins. <laughs> also, wow. Whereas, uh, back in 2004, when I had a, um, a really good friend of mine, Alan, living with me at the time in the house, and therefore we got to play Magic every night, and we brainstormed every night, um, I actually won back-to-back PTQs in, in Colorado, and uh, have qualified for nationals on a couple of different occasions and uh, have been qualified I've been qualified for like four different pro tours over the time and like two different nationals events nice so, so but someday hopefully not too far into the distant future I'm going to re-earn myself some past glory I think and go back again go back to the pro tour that's one of my goals, anyways. That is a goal. Nice. Whereas, you know, same time, I've been to well over a dozen Grand Prix and have never day two'd. So sometimes it's really hard to ever make that make it over some humps. Yeah, and um, we we got a Grand Prix coming up pretty soon in, in Nashville. Um, I know well, it's a, and in, and in GP, there's a GP Toronto next weekend. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true, Toronto. There were definitely, there were definitely... Is that next weekend? Like, it's next weekend. There were definitely, like, five people, five different people that were, like, you should really go to GP, GP Toronto. Like, uh, Owen, Owen was still, still, by the end of the, the, like, throughout the drive back, he, like, so why are you not going again? Like, and, and at a point, I was, I was considering it and realized uh, a commitment that I have on, on Sunday to, to go to my, uh, my niece's birthday party, which... Is significantly more important in my world. So, um, at least, at least, when 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 you make a commitment, you, you definitely got to follow through. So that's that's definitely what what my plans are for next weekend. But it's uh, it sounds awesome. I think, yeah. I think the, the beanie uh, Robert, or, or AKA the the Robert or Roberto 
is, is going to, to GP Toronto. Yeah, for sure. And we wish him the best of luck representing Milwaukee out there. Um, that actually reminds me, um, not to cut in and kind of go suddenly on a tangent, but, but I'm going to. So uh, I definitely definitely ran into Robert on on Friday when I uh, I chose to FNM over at um, Milwaukee Magic. Uh, they, had, they had free toppers. So I was like, um, I definitely haven't eaten all day. So having a bunch of carbs that are terrible for me sounds awesome. So I'm going to go get some free food and um, play with some familiar faces, which is exactly what happened. Uh, it was a great, great tournament with just a bunch of um, local crazy good players that we had. It's like Jameson, Baga, Tom. You know, just anyway, it was just a really strong draft. And uh, um, Robert was was there talking to to Ed when I went. When I walked in to sign up, and, and uh, he was he was standing there. I was like, "What's your name?" He said, uh, "Yeah, I'm Robert." He said, "Yeah, I'm great." It was kind of an awkward little interaction, but whatever. So so he he also drafted with us, and then uh, after the 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 ten o'clock draft, which I decided to do. Probably not advisable the night before PTQ, but whatever. Um, we then, Jameson, Baga, Robert, and I went out for, for a single beer before close. Uh, and we, 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 shoot the, we shoot, shoot the shit for uh, a while. It was a good time. So anyway, I, I have my little awkward Fort Spikes uh, <laughs> uh experience with, with Robert. That was awkward. Moving along. Um, so <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, um, think it's, it's getting at that hour where we're, we're going to start wrapping up this show. Uh, before we, we do that, um, we just want to, uh, ask, uh, Otwell, uh, the road warrior, uh, if he has any closing remarks uh, for today's episode of Four Spikes and any words of wisdom uh, you want to leave the, the listeners with before we, we get going? Uh, this has been pretty enjoyable. Um, it is only the second time I've actually been interviewed in any podcast by somebody else. It's kind of funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been pretty enjoyable, and I would, I would definitely do this again if you all want me on again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll... we'll uh, Hopefully, have something better than ninth place to talk to talk about as well uh, next time we have you on. Yeah. Oh yeah, and At least one of us, right? Yeah. Are you going to any big tournaments coming up, Chris? Is there any in your area that you want to plug? Uh, on the November sixth weekend, which is also the, the Star City Games Open Boston, there's going to be a TCG player qualifier up in Denver that I might be attending. Um, not 100% sure I sh- I'm going to get that weekend or not. Um, kind of depends on some possible scheduling of some other things that are not Magic-related in my life. Uh, but if but if that's not the case, then there's a PTQ like the following weekend. I got a PTQ. Our first Paris PTQ is uh, the following weekend, the 13th of November. Um, and then that's almost a month till the next one after that as far as the PTQ is concerned. There may be one down in New Mexico as well that sometimes I'll drive down there because it's only about 340 miles from my house. So, uh, 
those are probably the only big events that I have on the on the near horizon regarding for the rest of this year. Don't know this what the uh, the events are going to be for. We we don't really know what the big events are going to be for the early part of next year yet, unfortunately. So it's kind of hard to plan for those. But I've been doing really good and limited with this with the lat, with rise and now now scar. So I think I got a decent chance of doing that. Plus I I did pretty amazingly at the pre-release and the release event for the scars limited. So I think I got a good shot at the PQ of actually doing well. It's a really fun format. Like I was surprised that even in round seven and eight, I was still thoroughly enjoying my games. Yeah. Like that's 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 not something that I I can I can say about you know standard like I've I've, I've done decently well um, at a couple of larger standard events and uh, you know I, I hate my deck by the middle of the tournament. Like even before that. Like it's just it's not that I hate the deck from the standpoint of oh these cards are bad. It's just that like it it's a lot of the same, and you know, a lot of the same interactions. It just it, there's there's aspects of of it being boring, and that's. I mean, maybe it's just because the, the the format's so fresh, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and they've done a lot better job of making limited formats that are interesting lately. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a ridiculous release event deck that was. I, I mentioned to. to Jonathan before the recording started actually, but it um had two Vencers in it, which is pretty sick. That's awesome. And a worm coil engine. Oh, that's insane. Worm coil engine was just a friggin' house. And a sunblast angel. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you win. <laughs> right? You won? I, I, I assume yeah, okay. I seven o I seven o the Swiss and then blew the top eight because I played really badly. But eh, it's still seven and one on overall with that deck was pretty insane. Yeah. That's <laughs> Man, kill all their Yeah, okay. That's good. Vencer is ridiculous when you have them when you have them I had a bunch of other like coming to play effect creatures. Yeah. So he was like, all you need is all you need is like one or two tricks. I mean contagion class and Vencer is so nuts. Yes. Oh, so much fun. Yes. But I had like I had the blue guys that come into play you draw a card and then discard a card. Or the white guys that come into play and you gain life. And then, yep, I had I two I had two chemist guy guards, so I, I get a couple times where I just gain a bunch of life because I needed to. And then um, there's also a blue the, a blue guy that's pretty cool for that deck, um, where you if you have Melcraft, you bounce a guy. Yeah, I had that guy. That's, and I yeah. had, and I had the uh, stag, so when he comes to play, I can blink somebody else's stuff out. So I yeah. so I could that's blink my stag with my Vencer. He comes to play at the end of my turn, and then blinks out my opponent's whatever <laughs> creature, so he can't attack me with them on his turn. Because nice. he won't come back into play till the end of his turn, so that was pretty. Sick. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And, and then just you know randomly blowing the board with sunblast was just pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty insane. That's pretty sweet. Well, um, alrighty. Uh, I think it is getting. It's pushing the one twenty a.m. mark, and that means that it's going to be a fun day at work tomorrow. Uh, so <laughs> we'll be okay. wrapping up. Uh, <laughs> Greg, why don't you uh, tell the, the listeners how they can reach us? Yeah, so as as Jonathan eloquently put uh, earlier in the in the cast, uh, forcebikes at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Facebook, just search forcebikes. Uh, also on Twitter, we're 
horse fights. Uh, we really like getting feedback all over the place. Uh, Facebook is great. Twitter is great. Um, emails are great. Also on MTGCast, uh, just you know, go to mtgcast.com on our shows. We're now on the shows. Uh, look for Force Fights. And uh, you can find not only our current episodes but our, our, our previous episodes on there. Feel free. We highly encourage you to, to leave comments either there or email us or anywhere. Uh, we, we take we love feedback and we and we oftentimes uh, will even uh, plug people that uh, that give us some feedback. We actually plug them in there on our show so we can give you that 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 instant feedback on those websites over here. So. Yep. And uh, also, one more last plug, definitely listen to the Road Warrior Otwell. He puts out great stuff, and we uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. Hope to have you back uh, on some of the later casts, and uh, that's pretty much it. Thank you all for listening, and have a wonderful week. Yeah.